All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee only registered investment advisor. With our 32nd year business, with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can catch the Money Wise podcast on all your favorite podcast streaming apps. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, the week just passed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 126 points or four-tenths of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 16 and a half points or four-tenths of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 164 points or 1.1%. Now we just finished the month of July. So let's go through the performance numbers for the month just passed for the Dow Jones Industrial Average. It was up 1.3% for the month of July. The S&P 500 was up 2.3% for the month. And the NASDAQ was up 1.2% for the month. This is the sixth month in a row uh, that the S&P 500 has been positive. And finally, the year-to-date numbers, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 14.1% year-to-date. The S&P 500 is up 17% year-to-date. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 13.8%. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So I would say that the statistic you just gave about the fact that the S&P 500 has been positive six months in a row might have been, might be creating a little bit of a hand-wringing. I know with, with a handful of clients and some conversations we've had this past week of the concern or the, what are the possibilities of a, I hate to use the word crash, but a significant correction in the market. And anytime I get these types of questions, my, I, I hate to, to, to answer a question with a question, but I kind of go back to a prospective client or client to ask, well, can you tell me what the ingredients are that would create this, that would create this situation? Is it simply because the market has had positive returns for six months in a row? And because of that, that's the reason why we're, we, we need to have a five, seven, 10% corrective move. Or is there something structurally or systemically that's changed that's going to create that? So really the question about, I think people are more scared of the 0809 type situation or a situation that a 
occurred here at the beginning of the century from 2000, 2001, 2002, you know, that three-year bear market. Um, but all of those, you know, th those typically start off with a correction of some magnitude. Not all corrections turn into three-year bear markets. Not all corrections turn into the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression, which is what occurred in 08, 09. So let's talk about do the ingredients in today's marketplace that created those types of markets, those bear markets, do they exist in the marketplace today? So the, the great bear market that we had in the first three years of the 20th century were, were preceded by uh, one of the most tremendous run-ups in the S&P 500 in our investing lifetimes. And I don't have, happen to have the specific statistics in front of me, but I believe uh, we had like five straight years of double digit returns. Many of those started with the number two, you know, 20% uh, types of returns. And there were companies, uh, especially in the latter part of the dot-com era, that had little to no sales, little to no revenue, and they put they slapped the the, the word dot com on the end of their the name of their company, and it was instant billion plus valuations in the stocks. I don't see that in today's marketplace. Uh, are there certainly been some high profile IPOs of late uh, that have stumbled, that have not done well? Uh, since their uh, initial public offering date. Yeah, I saw that statistic this week on a, on a number of different companies. Uh, I wouldn't say that those companies were in the same category as some of the, the stuff that was thrown at investors during the dot-com era, like pets.com and companies along those lines. Yes, Kyle, you want to say Well, I was going to say, well, let's talk about Robinhood because Robinhood okay. this past week was a big IPO, a lot of hype. There's been a lot of conversations going on for the past, really this past year of when, if, what's going on with Robinhood. And we know that Robinhood has had some regulatory stumbles. They've had some regulatory fines. They have had some systems issues, uh, particularly the beginning of the year when, and particularly around a lot of it revolving around some of the meme stocks that have definitely been hotly traded. But back to your point, Jeff, you look at a company like Robinhood that's been around for years, it's definitely gotten more notoriety in the past couple of years, but you're talking about a company that has millions and millions of customers, that has billions and billions of dollars under their custodialship, and they're running a lot of trades on a daily basis. So they're, they are a tangible company, unlike a lot of these dot-com companies like you just mentioned during the 2001 and two dot-com melt down like a pets.com where it's two or three people in a garage slap.com on the end of it and now all of a sudden they're minted billionaires overnight after the ipo and there's been a hot ipo market this year and i know there was some criticism being directed at robin hood is oh are they trying to strike the ipo market while the iron is hot and were they overvalued by goldman when they first you know, launched this past week when they when they first had their IPO. Well, obviously, the first couple of days of trading, for as far as answering the overvaluation question, the answer would be yes, uh, because 
the stock did sell off after its initial IPO. But as far as a going interest, I mean, Robinhood, I will say, is here to stay. Yes, they have millions of customers. Yes, the customer average account size is extremely low, but it's really opening up the marketplace for the newer and younger investors. And as money managers as we are at Davidson Capital Management, who've been in this business for 32 years, it's great to see more investors getting involved in the market, no matter what asset size they have. So let's take our first commercial break here, listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And you can catch the MoneyWise podcast on all your favorite podcast streaming apps. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's MoneyWise program, we're just recapping the happenings of Wall Street from this past week. And before we went to break, we were just talking about the Robinhood IPO. Didn't want to sp- focus you know, too, too much time on it. And Jeff, during the commercial break, you made the comment, you know, Robinhood doesn't really do anything unique in the world of being an online broker. And that's true. They don't. I I guess what I personally like about Robinhood is that it's getting a lot of younger investors, newer investors and investors with lower net worth or just getting started or getting comfortable with doing that. And they feel that Robinhood is a place for them as opposed to maybe the large discount brokers like a Schwab, like a Fidelity, that maybe they feel a little bit of intimidation saying, oh, well, I'm only investing $100 or $200 a month. I, I'm a small fry, but you know what? Robinhood will, will allow me in. Now, obviously, these discount brokers would take a $100, $200 contribution, but I'm just talking about maybe from a consumer standpoint, Robinhood might kind of dial back that intimidation factor for well, smaller investors is all I'm I, saying. And the thing, and the, and the difference is investing versus trading. That's true. Yeah. Also, are we are we getting these young investors inv- interested in investing, or are we getting them interested in minute to minute trading, hour to hour trading, you know, week to week trading? That's that to me, to us, is not investing. No. You know, first thing I would say to any young person that might be might be doing this on their, you know, using Robinhood, the very first thing that I would say to them is number one, you must first of all be saving in your retirement account. If you've got a four hundred one k, max it out. If you if have not, start an IRA. If you haven't maxed out your four hundred one k, you shouldn't be spending any time on Robinhood trading stocks. So on something you read on Reddit or where else, where else you might have read it. That's the first thing. If you don't have a 401k, like you said, Kyle, you should get an IRA and max that out. So once you've done that and you've gotten debt free, then maybe you should you can start trading stocks on Robinhood or any other trading platform. Well, how much of the trading is a byproduct last year of really COVID and people being at home? needing something to do and, and obviously 
getting into this mentality about going in and actually trading stocks. And, and I think that's part of where a lot of this came from. Uh, and mean, some of them may not even qualify for an IRA or a 401k. It's a hundred here, 150 there that they have in their bank account. You know, there's going to be that type of investor. I don't want to say investor person tr using Robinhood that technically may not qualify for a retirement account. So well, are uh, you saying, are you saying idle hands? But, but I would also say, uh, you know, yes, idle hands, particularly during the COVID locked, you know, lockdowns, that is, I think, one of the springboards of getting more younger investors interested in Wall Street, because they did have idle time on their hands. And I would say to, to add to Jeff's, you know, if you're, if you don't have access to a 401k, do an IRA, but being a younger person, definitely look towards a Roth IRA, uh, especially if you're a young investor sure. and you're below the income minimums. But I wouldn't be trading that money inside no. th those 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 accounts. No, I would be and we, buying and we, things to hold for the long term. That's and right. Here's the other thing. There's other thing that I wanted to take a little bit of uh, uh, taking, and, and and I I don't know exactly what you meant by when you said the the hot IPO market this year because if you look at uh, if you want to use one of there's a multitude of exchange traded funds that are investing in IPOs where you can go instead of buying, you know, because most, most investors don't even have access to get into the IPO, but there are some exchange traded funds that, that apparently are doing uh, investing in IPOs. You can buy these exchange traded funds. Well, if you uh, check two or three of them here, they all have negative performance year to date. So yes. what's hot is maybe the number of issues coming to yes. the market and the hype around those uh, issues. But in terms of performance, yes. the performance really hasn't been there in aggregate. Now I'm sure there's been some that have done well, there's some that have done well, but there's some that haven't done well. Now Robinhood opened on the first day, I think down 8% or something like that. It went down as far as 10% after its, after its open trade. And, but and recovered to be down four or five percent for the for the day on its on its opening day. But what I meant by hot IPO market was not from a performance okay. standpoint, but it was all the numbers of IPOs that have been coming out. So let's so let's take that little tidbit of information for a moment to to go back to the question that you posed there in the first segment is the fact that this quote unquote hot IPO market is showing lackluster performance. Is that an indication of near-term, medium-term, or long-term issues for the market? And should that cause investors to have some, to use one of your words, Kyle, trepidation on committing new or additional, you know, additional funds into the marketplace or wanting to make substantial changes to their current asset allocation? Because we did make an asset allocation change this week in our portfolios. And we were talking a little bit about it on the previous show about international and emerging markets investing. And we actually sold our emerging markets investment in the week just passed totally out of the portfolio. So as of right now, we have absolutely no exposure to international or emerging market stocks in our portfolios, which is where we were most of 2020 and all of 2019. I think we some I think we got out of international sometime in 2018, if my 
memory serves me correctly. Uh, but what's interesting, and, and Joe had, was looking at one of the more popular uh, target date funds. Target date funds. Thank you, Joe. It's a big boy. A lot and, of money and, in it. And I had commented, I think, on uh, last week's show about reviewing the 401k, uh, uh, a prospective client's 401k that uses their in-house asset allocation uh, team, whatever these folks are doing behind the scenes. And, and they had 20 plus percent of their portfolio uh, allocated to international or emerging stocks. And so this, you were looking at, the, this was a longer, this was a longer maturity, that's the right word, target date fund. I think it was like 2040, 2045. So this is way out into the future, which is typically going to have an, a higher asset allocation to stocks because it's so far out into the future. And what was their concentration overseas? It was well over 30%. Well over 30% of the portfolio. And this was a portfolio that's basically 90% invested in stocks. Yeah, 10% fixed income and cash. And it was so, so there's wow. 60% domestic, 30% not domestic, and then the rest in cash and bonds. Well, let a me just third, give you a third a third overseas right. just in their stock allocation. So let me so let me let me give you some statistics to chew on. Our emerging markets index that we track as many uh, many different performance indexes we track in our portfolios. This particular one from MSCI, which is pretty much the gold standard in, in international indexes, shows emerging markets year to date through Thursday up 0.32% for the year, 0.32. Now the other index, which is the world index, which not including the US is up eight and three quarters percent. Well, that's half the S&P 500 has done this year. Uh, so if you've got a third of your money invested in, and I don't know, emerging markets, and they don't, I don't think they even break down what the actual emerging markets performance or, or allocation is, Joe, in that, in that target date fund you were talking about. The, the portfolio that I always view, I think it had about 10% in emerging markets. So you might have 10%, 15% if you're in one of these allocations for one of these big brokerage houses that uses the infamous Monte Carlo analysis where they never change, it seems, their asset allocation to anything. You could be you know, you know sub substantially exposed to underperforming asset classes. And that's why we got, you know, that's why we got out of the emerging markets. And really and a lot is, of that, and the emerging markets is basically being driven right now because of China. China is the biggest contributor to these emerging markets uh, indexes. Yes, Joe. I got a really good stat when we come back about China versus the S&P 500 too. Okay. Oh, so it's going to be particularly focused on China. And, we're going to take them out with one punch. Okay. Well, and, 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 for listener, and, for listeners, and for listeners that didn't catch the last weekend's show of what's going on in China is China's regulators are really starting to crack down, particularly in the technology companies there in China. So we'll talk more about that when we come back from the break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com 
Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And you can catch the Money Wise podcast on all your favorite podcast streaming apps. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's Money Wise program, just revisiting a conversation we had on last weekend's show about international and emerging market um, investing in your portfolio. And the conversation we had last week is when we do portfolio reviews and analysis, we have a, we just, it's like 9.9 times out of 10, if we're reviewing a portfolio from one of the uh, legacy distribution system firms, as we call them, all your major brokerage firms with every name brand that you can think of that are basing their portfolios, which majority of them do on these Monte Carlo analysis type portfolios, you're going to see typically a much larger allocation of international and emerging markets in your portfolio, which to us, you know, that's not, a Monte Carlo analysis is not active asset management. It's, it's trying to utilize a computer and theory in creating an asset allocation instead of actually taking experience of being a money manager, being in the trenches like we have been for the past 32 years at Davidson Capital and analyzing asset class performances around the world and determining which asset classes have the greatest potential for capital appreciation in a portfolio and how many dollars we should allocate to it. Well, at the beginning of the year, we took a small allocation of 3% into emerging markets. Now, we hadn't been in emerging markets in years and years and years, but we felt as as we were coming out of the lockdowns from the COVID pandemic in 2020, that emerging markets, which of course were also affected by the pandemic, would have the greatest capital appreciation opportunity because their stocks, even pre-pandemic, had not been getting a lot of love. They had not been performing well in years past. And from a valuation standpoint, had some of the most attractive valuations from a price earnings multiple around the world. And so we wanted to take advantage of it, but we are very much focused still on the United States and its economic recovery. And anytime we have invested in emerging markets and internationals, it's typically a smaller allocation in our portfolio. And so we took a 3% position that we built over the course of several uh, several weeks to get to this 3% allocation. Well, as it turned out, as this Delta variant and the fears of increased lockdowns around the world, people going back to masks, unvaccinated, vaccinated people coming down with the Delta variant and some of the hand-wringing and fear over that, in conjunction with what China is doing, being a communist country and the lockdowns that they were starting to do on some of these tech companies and the extensive higher level of regulations and the negative effect that's had on not only technology stocks, but other stocks in China, the emerging markets, which in any emerging market fund is going to have a higher allocation to China being the second biggest economy in the world. It goes without saying. So the emerging markets really started underperforming, significantly underperforming the broader U.S. markets. And so we decided having a very small loss in it, we've taken a lot of profits in our, all of our portfolios across the board. So we saw this as an opportunity to, 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 to exit out of this position, 
take a re small realized capital loss to offset a lot of gains that we've already generated for our clients this year, particularly for our clients at taxable accounts, and raise that cash and have that cash ready to go to deploy back in the United States when we feel it's an appropriate time to do that. So that drew our allocations in a moderate portfolio to around a 63% allocation to stocks across the board in a moderate allocation. And now we have some more powder dry to take advantage of any potential pullbacks that are coming later on this year. So going back to the original question that you posed in front of us at the beginning of this weekend's Money Wise show was this question about should investors be fearful of you know big downturn coming and, and and you know, I said, is, it, is this about a correction or is this a long, the beginning of a longer lasting bear market? And I was trying to draw comparisons between the late 20th century bear market. And the first thing that I thought of in mind is all the IPOs and all the hype around the dot-com era. And, and we made some comparisons between you know, the IPOs of today versus the IPOs of then. I think the IPOs today, even though they haven't performed as well, you know, performed well this year relative to the rest of the market. I think the quality of the companies that are comprising the, the today's IPOs are far better than those that, that we saw in the late 20th century dot-com era. I think the, the more specific and the more the, the question that we all debate is valuations. You know, high valuations in stocks typically leads to uh, a correction. It leads to, you, know, you can't have the price to earnings ratio, which is the measure of the value of the stock versus its earnings, just keep going up indefinitely. And so we kind of use history as a, as a guide. If you want to look at one of the, the biggest bear markets we faced as a company, again, we go back to the beginning of this century's uh, three-year bear market. The price to earnings ratio, the S&P 500, peaked in April of 99 at about 34 times earnings. 34. Today, the estimate for the S&P 500 earnings is actually higher than that, but not by much, 34.28. So you could say that right now, and these are estimates because we don't have all the numbers in that the S&P 500 is selling at a valuation comparable to its highest price to earnings ratio at the height of the dot-com era, just based on the S&P 500 earnings numbers. But here's the difference, ladies and gentlemen. What was the 10-year treasury yield at the same time that the dot-com era was peaking in 1999? Joe put up his hand. You want to go first, Joe? I'm guessing five. Okay, Kyle, you want to take a guess? 5%? Um, I would say it was about 6.5. Okay. Well, it's actually in between. It's around 6. 6. Okay. Call it 6. You win, Kyle. <laughs> All right. Give me the QB doll. So, and what did the 10-year yield go out on Friday? 1.23%. So, you're saying, oh, Tina, there is the no lowest, The lowest Friday closing yield we've had since February. So we've gone almost now, because we're going into August, in two weeks, if the 10-year Treasury yield is about where it is right now, it'll have been six months that interest rates, as measured by the 10-year Treasury, has been declining. 
But why is that? What is the bond market telling us? That's what dad would say if he was sitting with us here. What is the story the bond market is telling? Is the bond market foretelling a great decline in the marketplace? Or is, you know, what, what is it saying by interest rates declining? In the face of, in essence, stock prices have been moving steadily higher. Already we're at, we've been, this S&P 500 has beat all of our estimates for the year. And I was the most bullish, and it's all. And I was the most conservative, which is surprising, which is very surprising because I'm typically the the biggest bull in the office. But like Joe says, 6% yield on a 10-year treasury is a whole lot more palatable than a 1.23% in today's market. You're guaranteed, you know, from a uh, inflation-adjusted point of view, to lose money, putting a lot of money in a 10-year treasury. So, yeah, we get back to this TINA. There is no alternative. Now, we're not advocating put 100% of, of anyone's money in stocks unless you are appropriate, unless you are young enough or can appropriately handle that level of risk in your portfolio. Because we're, we're not 100% stock. We haven't been at our maximum mass allocation of stocks since February of 2020, right before the big shutdown started occurring in March as COVID really ramped up. We've been lower than our maximum asset allocation of stocks, and we came a little bit lower last week because we sold this emerging markets uh, allocation. So and if you looked at pure valuations and you didn't know what the 10-year treasury was, you might say, well, heck, I'm not real comfortable with this because last time we were at 34 PE in the S&P 500, we ended up having a multi-year bear market. Can I just throw a little yeah, bit of on. water on that? I, I, no, I, I, go ahead. No, no, not, not water, but, but looking at the inflation-adjusted PE, which was, was made famous by Robert Schiller, the PE from back during the 2000.com era was closer to 45. Okay inflation adjusted so even though we're right around where the pe was back in 2000 adjusted for inflation it was closer to 45 so i would say we still have room to run from a pe multiple standpoint and on top of the tina there is no alternative because you can get a whopping 1.23 percent in a 10-year treasury get it while it's hot but that's not putting anybody on easy street in retirement and when we take a company like amazon who reported their earnings, you know, they, they had a little bit of earnings issues and also they gave a little dialed back guidance. But as the new CEO that came in for Amazon, when your compensation is directly tied to the performance of your stock, don't you want to keep the bar as low as absolutely possible so it's easy to jump over it as opposed as opposing to high hurdle over it? But when you look at the five-year PE average, the PE ratio, for Amazon, it ranges between 54 and 275, closed on Friday at 63. So it's on its low end of its five-year average PE range. Let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. The Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, 
You can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And you can catch the Moneywise podcast on all your favorite podcast streaming apps. So wanted to go back right before we went to commercial break was just talking about the five-year PE range for Amazon. Now, Amazon had their earnings this past week. They missed on their top on their top line uh, revenues by 1.74%, but they did beat on their earnings per share. In fact, a beat of over 23% uh, year over year. And with the new CEO kind of lowering the Ford guidance in it, this I don't think should have been a huge surprise, although with the reaction of the market on Friday with Amazon being down over 7.5%, Personally, I feel it's a great buying opportunity. Obviously, when we went to the lockdowns in the second quarter of last year, for the end of the first and going into the second quarter of last year, of course, people staying home, they're going to be doing a lot more shopping. So some of the comparisons year over year, they, they might have had some problems getting over it. But the bottom line is, is Amazon's not going away anytime soon. And Amazon is only going to be getting bigger and bigger and bigger with all the different acquisitions they're doing as long as the uh, Federal Trade Commission allows that to happen. But, you know, you could look at Friday as a great buying opportunity because from a price earnings multiple, they're right around the low end of their five-year average range. Uh, that's just one stock in particular. But I know we were talking, getting back to the conversation of, is there an imminent corrective move in the market? Yeah. You know? I, I, people, I don't think they're worried as much about corrections as they're worried about the big multi-year bear markets or something along the lines of what happened in 0809. Let's talk about 0809. The ingredients of that were were really in the at the late at the feet of the housing market. And the housing market has been getting a lot of attention here lately. Housing prices running up a lot, uh, supply very low. Uh, but what's not happening is the level of Shenanigans? Crazy loan activity. <laughs> shenanigans. Shenanigans that were happening in the lending side of the equation. Uh, we're not seeing that today. Well, and let's that, also let's also so talk about not, so, so that's not so that ingredient is not there in terms of creating some sort of financial crisis that would cause uh, you know brokerage houses to fail and the government have to step in and save insurance companies and, and other financial institutions. You know, those, th that particular ingredient just doesn't exist in the portfolio. But everything that we've said today, ladies and gentlemen, doesn't necessarily mean there isn't something out there that none of us know about that's happening behind the scenes that could cause something to occur. And so at the end of the day, the people that lost the most money in their portfolios in the dot-com era and in the financial crisis all had one common denominator, in, that, in my opinion, and that is no one was managing the money. There wasn't any active management occurring, especially in the 08-09 period. There were all kinds of warnings that investors should have taken notice of to reduce their asset allocations to stocks. And the people, but, okay, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, not only was it not actively not actively managed, but they had 
incorrect asset allocation. They were overexposed. They, they were overexposed. They had maybe risk tolerance of a 25-year-old, but they had a risk capacity of their age, of a 65-year-old, of a retiree, and had they were way overexposed into stocks. And so this goes back to what we always talk about on this program is knowing what you own, knowing what your asset allocation model looks like, knowing where your dollars are allocated throughout the world. These are the things that you have to know. You can't, if you're working with a financial salesperson, you can't rely on them because they're not a money manager. That's not their job. I'll be the first to defend them. That's not what they're there for. You have to put that onus on your shoulders. And if you don't want that responsibility, then you need to find a registered investment advisor, a fiduciary who has full discretionary control and manage the assets in-house. And what I mean by in-house is they don't take your assets and then ship it off to somebody else to manage that you don't have a relationship with. And those are the questions that you have to ask when you're out interviewing an investment professional to work with. That's something that you have to keep a very, very sharp eye on. Yeah, Joe. Well, I think when you're talking about knowing what you own and looking at your portfolio, there, there are multiple clients that we have that in 08 to the, to the tech bubble, they had portfolios and their advisors didn't do anything. They said, look, it's going to come back. Just be patient, you know, and next thing you know, it didn't come back right away. They got back, they got out of the market and finally, you know, they, they came over here or, or invested. They actually got back into the market, but, but how Anyways, many years did it take for them to get back? Three to or four years. They already missed the market coming back. So the idea is you have to have active management to make sure you're in there. You got to be in it to win it. And you, and you, and you, but you also have can, to, but you ahead. also have to have powder dry right. from active management on the sidelines for when the market does make a turn or when buying opportunities look very attractive. Just going back to February, March of last year during the COVID pullback, we went from our maximum allocation and a moderate allocation to 70% allocation to stocks down to 40% allocation to stocks through that COVID pandemic, the real depths of it, of the lockdown. And then when we felt that this corrective downside move had kind of really had stretched its legs and, and felt like it was starting to come to the end of its run, we slowly incrementally started buying back in with all the cash and all the powder we had on the sidelines to take advantage of great buying opportunities. If you don't have cash, you can't take advantage of buying opportunities. If you don't have active management and you're overallocated to stocks, you don't have that powder. And that's where active management and disciplined and, and, and appropriate asset allocation models come into effect. And you have to be in those positions. But if it starts with knowing what you own. And, and also, like we talked about last week, you know, what are you paying for? All right. That's so, right. What, what are, yeah, what, what are you paying, are you paying and what are you actually getting for it? Because if you're paying one and a half, two, two and a half percent in management fees, and there's very little, if any, management going on, you really have to start questioning, what am I actually paying for? I could go and, and buy some exchange-traded indexes, slap it in my brokerage account at a discount broker, not pay any management fee, and just let it ride. You know, being complacent is not active management. That's not portfolio management. And so you have to know what you own. You have to do that examination. And if you don't have your arms around your portfolio, that's when you have to pick up the phone and give us a call for a, portfo for a portfolio review at 800-275-2162. And with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour. So for listeners of Money Wise on 1200 WOAI, we'd like to thank you for listening to this weekend show. 
If you'd like to catch the second hour, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com or you can listen to our podcast and all your favorite streaming apps. For listeners of Money Wise on 1360 KKTX and Corpus Christi, stay tuned because when we come back from the top of the hour break, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with more investor education. So stay tuned and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise, guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And if you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website, again, at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise shows. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage of our website, again, at davidsoncap.com. As we're in the second hour of the weekend's Money Wise program, we always like to use the second hour for investor education. And there was an article, Dad, that you came across, and it's a topic that we've talked about on this show time and time again, uh, really how savers are being penalized because of the historically low interest rate environment that we've found ourselves in over the last several years, the zero interest rate policy from the Federal Reserve. More than six now. Well, yeah, really going back to the Great Recession, which ended and just to repeat to all of our listeners, the recession ended March of 2009. Or excuse me, June of 2009. That March was the March 2009 was the proverbial low, low generational of the low of the stock market, but the recession ended in June of 2009, although I think there was a poll that was done by Fox News not too in long May. ago in May that stated that, what was it, 60 or 70 percent of the... I think it was more than 60 percent of the respondents believe we're still in a recession. And we're not. We're not in a recession, just but to reiterate that. they personally may feel, feel as if they are, and that's, that's part right. of what drives articles like this. Well, this article was written by Scott Burns, um, who is a former columnist for the Dallas, Dallas Morning, Morning News. Dallas Morning News. He is retired, but the title of the article is Low Rates Take High Toll on Retirement. I want to read some excerpts out of this article because, again, this I think is going to spark, I wouldn't say a debate, but it's definitely going to spark a conversation that, you know, there were some good things in this article, but there are some things in this article, if I was talking to Scott Burns now, I would I would be asking him a little bit deeper questions and for him to go into a little bit greater explanation of some of the things that he said in this article. But from the article, no one knew, no one knew it at the time, but the 80s were the golden age of retirement. 
pensions were gener- were generous back then. Whether you invested in stocks or bonds, the proverbial win was at your back. Both provided handsome annual returns. Many retirees found themselves with more money, a higher standard of living than they had enjoyed while working. Who knew? No one had a clue about how good things were. Retirement will be more difficult the next 30 years than in the last 30 years. The returns on stocks and bonds are expected to be lower in the future than they have been in the past. Many provided a yield of 4%, and the long-term average yield has been about 3%. Today's stock yields are lower than 2%. The same thing happened to bonds. While you could typically rely on U.S. Treasuries to yield about 5% in the past, the current yield on the 10-year Treasury is a bit over 2%. Those two factors suggest that a typical balanced portfolio of 60% stock, 40% bond, which could be expected to provide an 8% annualized return in, in the long term, in the long-term past, might now expect be expected to return 6%, meaning that a 30-year portfolio survival rate has moved from 94% to 77% because of the low interest rate environment that we're in and the expected future rates of return of the market. But here's, you know, here's some things that I'd want to I'd want to say. Well, let me say something okay, first. Okay, sure. Let me, Go ahead. Let me get my thought in here. Okay. First of all, the 80s was not the golden years to retire. You retire when you retire. Now, the vast majority of people that retired in 1980 are probably no longer alive today. Would that be fair to say? Yes. And I'm sure if we went back and talked to these people, they would not feel that they retired in the golden age of retirement, considering the fact what the stock market has done since the 80s and what inflation rates are today versus what they were then. Then the inflation wolf was firmly at the door. We had suffered tremendously under the Carter administration in the 70s, the area of all shock of the 70s, the fact that energy costs were doubling and tripling, utility costs were just sky high. In 1987, if you were a retiree, you would have suffered a decline in one day of more than 20% in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. I don't think anyone would have said October was the golden age to be retired. October of 1987 would have been the golden (laughs) age. So Scott Burns was writing for the Dallas Morning News in that time, and I just happened to be managing portfolios in Dallas at the same time. And I was dealing with the individuals who were retired, and I was talking to these people. And I can say with certainty that their feelings towards the future was no different than it is the people we talk to today. They did not believe they had enough money to live comfortably, and they were concerned about outliving their money. The rising cost of health care was very much present in their lives, and the we are so much farther along in our health fitness today as we opposed to then. We did not have all the treatments for hearts and cancer that we have today. So it was not the golden age of retirement. Retirement is retirement. You are only going to retire once. You can't go back and say, hey, I wish I had retired. Just to show you how silly that statement really is, I know that when I worked for Central Power and Light in the early 70s, they told me that my retirement, if I stayed 
since night to I was 65, they projected that I would be getting $22,000 a year, almost as much as a vice president was making at that time. And wasn't that going to be a wonderful retirement? Well, no, I get more than that today in Social Security. I couldn't live on $22,000 a year. That was not the golden age of retirement. And, and, and that's and that's the one thing that I would, I would kind of take Scott Burns to task about in this article is that everything is relative in its specific time. Yes. Everything that's is relative. What I'm exactly. When when you were at CPNL way back in the early seventies, making twenty two thousand a year, you're thinking, "Wow, back no, then." No, no, I was just trying to make ten. No, 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 no. I'm saying, as far as retirement, yes. you're thinking to yourself, "Wow." Wow. I mean, I'd be on easy street. Wow. Exactly. And, and so, again, going back to this golden age of retirement of retirement thirty years ago. You know, you have to look at a lot of different factors 30 years ago. Sure, 10-year treasuries were paying 12, 13, you know, percent, 14 percent. But where was monetary inflation? And we're going to have to pause right there to hold that thought and come back because I want to dig a little bit deeper into this article and, again, talk about how retirement is relevant and the point of time when you're actually retiring and looking in the rearview mirror is not a good thing. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing this article from Scott Burns, low returns take high toll on retirement. And as we were going into the break, I was just making a point that retirement and what's going on in the market, the economy, inflation is relative at that point in time in which you're retiring. And to look back in time, to look back 30 years like Scott Burns was was looking and saying in this article, how it was so much better to retire 30 years ago. And I'm thinking, wait a second. Monetary inflation was almost double digits. Sure, you're getting 14% in a 10-year treasury, but wasn't in some instances inflation higher than a lot of treasury bonds? So you were actually getting a net negative return. Remember the net 18%, of inflation, eighteen percent car loan. Yeah, exactly. I had on an Eighty-two citation. Exactly. You know, double-digit mortgage rates. So again, even though he talks in this article how stocks had higher dividend yields and the bond market was paying higher interest rates and higher interest levels, where was monetary inflation? You know what? What was the actual net return was, after you take this out? Negative. It was negative. So if you look today, and, and we know that everyone's inflationary rate is different. It's the same. Tr- it's the. It's a true statement today, as it was 30 years ago, as it was 50 years ago. Everyone's inflationary rate's different. The government puts out their statistic, but if you've got kids in college, you know what your inflation rate is. You're a high consumer of health care, you know what your inflation rate is. So 
the government statistics are a lot of times meaningless to the individual in retirement. But I would say back then, inflation was a lot worse well, than it is today. And and even though we have, let's say, a 2.3% 10-year treasury, based on the governmental statistic of 2% inflation, you're actually net positive net of inflation. Which wasn't the true any time in the, eight, That's right. in the late 70s or 80s. Now, one other point I totally forgot is that there was no 401k plans in the 60s and 70s. That's right. So if you change jobs, which most young people do, if you left Westinghouse and went to work for CPNL, you left CPNL and went to work on Wall Street, every time you changed, whatever your defined benefit plan defined was Defined benefit, yeah. You got nothing. Nothing transferred. It wasn't until the 401k was created in the 80s where I was able to start putting money in and getting matching funds from my employer, which eventually led to the 401k that I was able to use to start the company. So if we go back today, as as young people jump jobs and change jobs, if they will carry their 401k with them, not borrow against it, and continue to keep their funds, their retirement would be substantially better. Very big point. And, and, and because the only way you had a really good retirement in the 60s is if you spent 35 years with the same company. You had which, to stay. Which you could do. Yeah. Now, now, today what you will find, at least this is what I find, People my age, the people who have worked for the federal government or work for the school systems right now tend to have the better retirements because they didn't have Social Security. Their money went into this Texas teacher's retirement. So they actually have pretty good retirements versus their peers and were able to retire earlier because of that. And so... But but you know what they get though, Dad? Now with TRS, they can do external saving through payroll deductions into four hundred three bs on top of their TRS. Yes. So so their I retirement. Do, I hope they're doing that. Well, one of our newest clients did that and has set themselves up for a very comfortable retirement because they paid themselves first, but they went above and beyond what the state was providing them. And they've they've amassed a very nice nest egg because of that. So the, the for teachers and municipal, their retirement plans are even more lucrative because they can do stuff outside the so, traditional pension. So the pension. funny thing today, what I would say to Scott There's Burns, more flexibility. I would say today would be more the golden age of retiring than would have been in the 70s, 60s, and 80s, unless you had stayed with one company your entire career. Then you might have had a very comfortable retirement. But even then, the odds of you staying with the same company 35 years, I don't know what the stats were. They would be more then than today. But it still wasn't that great. And the other thing that you would find in the 80s is the blue-collar worker would not have the retirement of the white-collar worker. Today, that is different. We see time and time again, if if a worker has saved, whoever he works for through the 401k plan, he can build a substantial nest egg, he or she, and can retire comfortably as an executive could have back in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s. So everyone has the opportunity today. This gets back to why we would say to the Obama administration, as we said to the Bush administration, if we could do away with Social Security and go to a national pension where people could put money in to a pension plan, 
the whole country would be better off in retirement, and articles like this would not have to be written. But here's the thing. I think he's only calling it the golden age, Dad, because of the rates of return of these particular asset classes. But again, when when you look at it at its point in time when these returns were made, it wasn't really any different than what no, it is today. <laughs> and, just... in fact, and in fact, we just said that if you're looking at fixed income and a 2% inflationary rate and you can get 2.3% in a 10-year treasury, you're actually net three-tenths of 1% what? positive above inflation. Where back in the 80s, you weren't. So he's only calling it the golden age because yields were higher in the stock market. Well, where was monetary inflation? Yields were higher in fixed income market. Where was monetary inflation? So that doesn't make sense to me, Scott. And, and the other t- the other point of this is where he's talking about the survival rate of a portfolio went from ninety four percent to seventy seven percent based on what withdrawal rate. What are we talking about here? It, you said it before we were commercial break. You don't pull any money out of it. It has a 100% survival rate. It has you a survival it, rate. You may not like the returns, but it's not going to go to zero. It's not going to go to zero, but, but it, it's all relative to what your withdrawal rate is. That's why it's such a key as you're working towards retirement, as you're getting a couple of years out, to start what I call do financial road mapping, where and this is something that we provide to to our clients here at Davidson Capital Management as part of our services is you know getting an an idea of what your expenses are going to be and and really the expenses need to be relative close, if not identical, or maybe even a little more than what you're currently spending today. Because I say to every client or prospective client, the one thing you have more of in retirement is time. And you have more time to travel, more time to do things and to get out and actually spend. So when I hear financial planners or read articles saying you need 70 to 80% of your current income, current annual income to survive in retirement, hogwash. No way. You need 100%, if not a little bit more, because you have more time. Unless you're going to be... Extremely frugal. And, and, and again, I think if if you're used to eating steak two times a week, you're not going to go to eating PB and J two times a week or rice and beans. You're going to want to continue to maintain that lifestyle. Peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, PB and J. Sorry, you had me going there. How'd you caught on the PB and J? Trying to figure out what. what yeah, PB&J? you're not going to go eating peanut butter and jelly just so you can retire. So if you're not sitting down and figuring out what your monthly budget is, and you don't take a look at the value of your nest egg and determine and figure out what kind of annual withdrawal rate am I going to have to draw off this nest egg in order to cover my living expenses. And if they're not matching up, I mean, if you're having to pull 8, 9, 10, 11%, it's not going to survive. No, it's I not going to survive. I, I can assure you there of that. There is no money manager that's, that's going to be, be able to do that. Be able to do that. And I, not do it prudently. I mean, if they're going to go, you go with 100% stocks, uh, you want not... Not always. You can't do that. Not even 100% stock. And, and, and no, again, I'm saying yeah. to get that kind of return, you're going to have to be 100% stock. And, and again, that's extremely, extremely dangerous if now you've taken yourself out of the workforce. And so if you find yourself doing this exercise and realizing that you're having to pull out high percentages in order to cover your expenses, one, you've not saved enough. Two, you haven't gotten your expenses low enough. And the one thing is we preach here at Davidson Capital is that the only thing you can control, the only thing you can control in retirement is discretionary spending. You can't control your health. You can't control taxes. You can't control the rate of return in your portfolio. You can only control your discretionary spending. And if your discretionary spending is out of whack, 
You have to get it back in line in order to maintain your nest egg. So this, going back to this article, a 30-year portfolio survival rate, because of the averaged annualized rates of return today than where they were 30 years ago, reduces a survival rate from 94% to 77%. Based on what, Scott? You're being a little vague here. Let, let's get let, let's get into the nitty gritty and figure out what the withdrawal rate is. Don't just say that rates of return were better in the 80s. Well, yeah, he, he's, he, he's, not real rates of return. But he's looking at everything as a, in a vacuum, as opposed to being more in relatively speaking. You know, in today's time, it's not. This doesn't happen in a vacuum. And the one thing that he also forgets: population growth was a lot smaller back then. We're continuing to grow. You know, where interest rates are going to be a year from now, let alone 10 years from now, I can't tell you. I have a feeling they're going to be higher, but I can't promise you that. I would think well, Janet Yellen, as an educated man, they're going to be higher. I think you can say with certainty Janet Yellen will not be chairman of the Federal Reserve in 10 years. That's right. Well, we got to take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So kind of getting back to this low returns takes high toll on retirement article from Scott Burns. And as I was saying before we went to the bottom of the hour break, again, he's just kind of looking at things in a vacuum and not realizing that Inflation was different back in the 80s. Yes, rates of return were higher. Valuations on company stocks were lower relative to today. Population was smaller. Um, I mean, again, it's retirement is relative based on the point in time you're currently in. You're only going to retire the one time. That's, that's it. right. And you can't say Pick that because, because dividend yields and interest rates. market returns yeah, That dividends and interest rates were higher back in the 80s, made it a better time, and because of defined benefit plans. But, Dad, you just completely crushed, yeah, I mean, crushed that point in this article yes. because – you didn't get to take your defined benefit plan with you. So you either put your cement shoes on at the employer of choice that you were at and spend your career there, or you lose your retirements, where today you can move from job to job and continue to climb the corporate ladder while taking your retirement assets with you via the 401K. So the 401K has given employees a lot better upward mobility. Yes, and, Absolutely. And, and, and flexibility to go from either one career path to the other or make changes and not be stuck in a dead-end job that they were miserable driving to every single day. Because they're like, well, I've been here 15 years. Well, I don't want to lose my quarter-million dollars pension I have. I don't want to tell you how many people I talked to, and I'm not singling out CPNL, but I'm just saying there were people there that were counting the days 
you know, had seven more years to go. I mean, it was almost like a prison sentence. They, they put X's yeah, on, the, I, on, on their did. cubicle wall. They did, Kyle. I, I make. I, I mean, literally, they were in. You know, they knew that they had six or seven more years to go. They were counting the days. They were miserable. It was name, rank, and serial number. They were entrenched in their position. They didn't want to change anything because they. I mean, what could they do? Just think coming up to where you would be funded, where if you lost this or how much it would affect your retirement. I mean, uh, one of the things that working at a public utility was the fact that you had this job security. And for that, you gave up a lot of flexibility. But it wasn't just about that one company. It was all the companies back then. Yes, I'm just singling out what I observed observed. And I'm sure that was observed by many other people and many other professions and many other corporations at that point in time. And so with the invention and the advent of the 401k, it's it's great and it's given everyone in this country a lot more flexibility and mobility when it comes to their career Absolutely. and choosing that career yes. path. So again, that's Scott, not the golden age. That was not that be, the golden age. Would that be the golden age? No. And and yes, we're in a lower return environment. When you're running, when I run hypotheticals doing the financial road mapping, yes, I'll run it on a 5% return, 6% return, 7% annualized return. I will run it on those numbers. And I will run it based on different withdrawal rates for that particular client just to see how long this money will last. But again, even those models are just, it's just math. That is not going to predict the future because no one knows what the future holds for this market. That's why we always preach on this radio show. And again, one reason why we hate annuities with such a passion is that you have to maintain flexibility in retirement. You have to stay mobile, nimble, flexible to be able to make adjustments and changes because the one guarantee on Wall Street, the one guarantee, is change. It's going to fluctuate. It's going to change, and it changes every single second. And so you have to have a portfolio that's actively managed, actively managed, not set it and forget it, and a portfolio that has liquidity and flexibility to make those changes. Because even, you know, take your portfolio, let's set your portfolio aside. Just talk about life. Life can change in the blink of an eye for yourself. And so you have a health crisis. You have a family issue. You need to get a hold of money. That's why maintaining flexibility, being malleable, is so incredibly important. And over time, as far as valuations are concerned, yes, the regress back. You know, he talks about regressing back to its mean when he talks about stock valuations. Let's talk about regressing back to the mean return of the markets themselves yeah. because we have yet to regress back to the mean or the average rate of return of the S&P 500 for a 100-year time span since the financial crisis. We have yet to regress back to that average return. Still today, we're still around 6, 6.5%. When prior to the financial crisis, we were more along the lines of 10 to 11% historically. So he was talking about regressing back to valuations. Well, guess what? In a bull market, stocks are going to be a little overvalued, are they not, Dad? That's what a bull market means. That's what a bull market means. And again, when you look at the 10-year treasury rate, Yes, it's paying more than monetary inflation. If your monetary inflation, personal inflation rate, is the governmental statistic, which I know it's not. But 
compared to where it was in the 80s, there was no comparison because you lost to monetary inflation in the 80s. So golden age, Scott? No way. No way. Because there, the, key no way. Now, the key now is a young person who has the 401k plan changes jobs a number of times, can keep the 401k. Has control over the investments. control over the investments. Has matching coming from the employer. Think how much money I would have got from Westinghouse, from CPNL, from Bayesian Company. If you the, could take it. If I could have taken it with me. Mm-hmm. The funny thing was, because of the settlement, when they closed out one of the banks I worked for in the 80s, they were forced to give me an annuity. Now, it's a pittance that comes in every month, but it you know that's the only company... Of all the companies I work for, that I get anything because all those years, you all worked, those years I worked, we're lost. We're lost. We're lost. And and you know, again, you know, there was a point I was going to make, and it just escaped me. I'm having a senior moment now. <laughs> I'm having a senior moment now. We're well, approaching forty. Well, yeah, that's right. It's 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 not. It's only a handful of months yeah, away. It's, not, it's around the corner. The, the mind is a terrible thing. Yes, you're, you'll be over the hill. I'll be over the hill, but. You know, again, when it when it comes down to your retirement, maintain flexibility. Don't get sucked into sales pitches for guarantees or this false well, sense of security because some salesman says that this is a great thing to well, do. I mean, the popularity of target date funds, which go we we dealt with now I know for what six I was or say. seven years. Now this year. All of a sudden, we've got this move on. Well, let's get our expenses down. All we got to do to to really maintain good returns and get our expenses down. Do nothing but indices. Uh, you know, let's let's just turn this money over to this computer, and they're going to run my money in this computer really inexpensively. You thought of it. Uh, it? It hit me. Here's something else that's vastly different today than in the '80s: access to information, access to research. Yes. Any individual investor can do this on their own. They can. And I know we're a registered investment advisor. We're a professional money manager. And I'm telling you, you can do this on your own. You do have the tools available to manage your assets on your own. You can go completely alone. You don't need anybody. You've got discount brokers out there that can be there to to be a sounding board for you. And you've got research tools out the wazoo. But because of the speed of the markets, the volatility of the markets, how complex the markets are in this day and age, a lot of investors choose not to. And that's what we would recommend because you really have to be sitting on that wall 24-7, 365 days a year and actively manage it and have the skill and ability and have the experience of being in the trenches to know cause and effect of different events, either in the economy, geopolitics, or markets to have to be successful long term and as we say if you can manage your portfolio part time and beat a professional manager you know we'd like to hire you yeah well or you, you need to do, go out on your own or you need to go out on your own if you can do it part time and be successful because of the speed of movement but back in the 80s uh, you had the wall street journal no way you didn't have research tools you didn't have access to these charts and the technical data that you can have access to today and if you wanted access to that technical data how much would that cost i mean lots a lot of money. of money lots of money nowadays you can go to bigcharts.com you can go to morningstar i mean there is a well, treasure can- trove of websites that you can go to to do your own research and your own monte carlo analysis your own backdated and testing of portfolios you could 
free. All these annual meetings that they have. I mean, you can listen in and hear the main Conference calls. Conference calls. We had conference calls because we were running money. You couldn't, as an individual, be involved in that conference call. Yeah. Now everything is an open book. I mean, if IBM scratched, we knew about it <laughs> because 10 analysts would call because of the kind of money we were generating kind of commissions we were generating yeah so did we have inside information no but we had information first we were one of the original calls mm-hmm. they called you guys first we with got information. the calls because we generated commissions for them yeah well and that's when yeah. you were managing pension assets yes. so and yeah. trust assets so a- again with today's technology there's just so much more information and so much more education that's available to individual investors but as we say, if you're that investor that doesn't want to make those decisions, doesn't have time to manage their assets in this volatile market environment that's going to continue to be like this for the rest of your life, that's when you need to seek the professional asset management skills of an RIA or a Davidson Capital Management to be able to actively manage those assets to make sure your portfolio lasts a lifetime. Well, let's take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, or even a show idea, something you'd like to learn concerning Wall Street that we can help cover, send those emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So wrapping up this article, and I, I don't want our listeners to think that we were just bashing on Scott Burns. That wasn't the point. It's just his article, I think, sparked a debate because, yes, the statistical return numbers he was giving in the article were accurate. But he's assuming that everything is done in a vacuum and not looking at the world at that particular time when these retirees were saying adios to to working nine to five and and not taking into account where inflation was. And, and, And again, to say that the 80s was the golden age or 30 years ago was the golden age, we disagree with. And I think that what really should have been taken away from the article is it should be preparing investors for lower rates of return over the medium term because I can't tell you what earnings growth is going to be two, three, four, five years from now or where interest rates are going to be two, three, four, five years from now. I think interest rates are going to be higher. Uh, I can't tell you where monetary inflation is going to be. I can tell you that average monetary inflation going back to the late 50s averages around 4% is around 4%, and right now we're right at two one between 1.8% and 2% according to the government. And again, I don't trust them with those numbers as far as I could throw them, but everyone, again, everyone's inflationary rate is different. But here's one thing that has changed over the last 30 years. More corporations have come into existence. Technology, both be it computer, hardware, software, biotechnology, new companies, new ideas, innovations that were not even thought of 30 years ago are, are, have been developed and are continuing to expand and increasing the pace 
of future developments because of technology, we've seen explosive population growth. We have seen economies that were fledgling to becoming more developed economies. And we've gone from being on an island maybe by ourselves back in the 80s. I mean, Dad, I was a little boy. You'd have to tell me if the U.S. I mean, we're always going to be the number one superpower. But from an economic standpoint, was it kind of the U.S. and everybody else? Well, I mean, that's the way I looked at it. I mean, we, we seems to, you know, we still always seem to be the head of the dog, so to speak. And so now we're seeing economies around the world developing and getting stronger and getting bigger and it becoming a world economy. Well, in the 80s, you know, Japan was thought to be a threat to the United States, just like China is thought to be an economic threat today. We're talking economic threats. I said economic threat. Okay, just want to make sure. And so, as I said, I look at China differently. Because of your age. Because uh, of your age. Because of my age in the Korean War, the fact that was the first thing I can remember. So they were the enemy. So nothing has changed. You know, I, I don't trust them, never will trust them. You know, there were people from World War II that had the same problem with the Japanese, rightfully so. Think about it. I know. So, so you can understand in the 80s, these people weren't feeling very comfortable about Japan. So these things, the market is always the same. It is greed and fear, but it's always different. It's always growing. There's more flexibility. There are vast more choices today of where to invest than there was back in the 80s. Not including products. Different products and way investments you know, are packaged. And, and the only thing that's the same today as it was in the 80s is Wall Street has not changed. I would say they are the same group of people they were in the 70s when I went in and became a broker. They have never changed. Their job is to sell product. Their job is to make money for the firms they work for. They hope their clients make money. That has never changed. They are always going to give the client what the client will buy, not necessarily what the client should be buying or what they need or what they need, but they will provide, you know, this explosion of of annuities came out of fear. That's right. We will live to see why annuities are just another product, not a product that should be used to the extent that it's been used over the last 20 years. And being sold at the pace that it's yes. being sold. So all things will change. I, you know, I do think that we will see an interest again in investing in commodities. With commodity prices down as low as they are, you know, to me, if you looked out three or four or five years, investing in real things as far as commodities, to me, would look like a good thing. But I think if you run the exercise that we talked about earlier this hour about figuring out what your monthly expenses are, looking at your nest egg, and if you're having to withdraw more than 7% out of your nest egg per year, you need to go back and adjust your budget, your lifestyle, or you're going to have to work longer and save more before you ride off into the sunset because, again, because of the lower interest rate environment, the lower returns we've been seeing in the stock market, we don't know what it's going to look like 10 years from now. No one does. And even though we're in this bull market, there's going to be many bull markets to come. And as we've always said on this program, retirement is just the 50-yard line. It's not the end zone. And so you have to maintain that flexibility. 
you have to maintain active management, active oversight of the portfolio. As we have always preached, going on almost 10 years on the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX, you, you have to be in a balanced portfolio. And balanced means different things at different parts in the market, at different times in the market cycle. Right now, 60-40. Could be 50-50. Could be 70-30 stocks to bonds. And the reason it's 60-40 or 60-35 or whatever has to do with the fact that we've had this run in the stock market, and as the stock market gets higher, obviously we're due a correction. It's been a a few years since we've had a 10% correction. So when you see things like that, you have to have the flexibility to adjust. The balanced portfolio today is totally different than what the balanced portfolio would have been in 1989 when when I started the firm. The returns are totally different. The environment is totally different. But it's and, the, and that'll be the same in the future too, Dad. But it's the flexibility that comes from that philosophy. That's right, and 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 again, you need to run these exercises. I cannot stress them enough. You have to sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and really work these numbers out to see if you're close to being able to retire. And if not, you need to be paying yourself more first and get your expenses down. And if there's anything we can do to help you here at Davidson Capital Management, you can give us a call at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. From my father, John, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend into your financial health. We will talk to you next week.